Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Tonight, and God speaks to us through David here uh, in this song about the pain of treachery. We find David struggling with feelings of betrayal here in this song. It's a betrayal that's left him in not just a place of hurt and pain, betrayal will do that, but, but even fear. And that's not a far jump from the one to the other, when we're betrayed, when we're hurt by the words of others or the actions of others. It can make us feel disoriented, like we don't know what is real. We don't know what we can depend on. In the final section of this psalm, David testifies to us about what he did, what he did to move from fear to faith. And in so doing, he gives us an example of how we should respond if we ever find ourselves in similar circumstances. If you're there, Psalm 55, if we look at the superscript, it says, to the chief musician. Again, that's a reminder that this was a a song that was intended to be sung by everybody, a congregational song, modern versions might say, for the choir director. And then it says, Neganoff. That's a stringed instrument. That's what it was designed to be played on. Then it gives us the genre. It's a masculine. Those are teaching psalms. They're different genres, right? And uh, this one's an instructive teaching type of psalm. It also has messianic implications. Most psalms do in some regard. This one maybe more than others. Let's read it. Psalm 55 says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint. And I make noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. And my heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I'd fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness." Selah, I would hasten my escape from this windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in this city. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, and then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. And we took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them. Let them go down quick into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. But as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. 
God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him, and hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in thee. Before we study this, let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word in this song that you had David give to us, there might be one who's listening, who's here, who has experienced or is currently in the midst of the pain and hurt and even fear that can come from being betrayed. It might be a different tribulation that they're facing with the same kind of pain, hurt, and fear. And you give us these beautiful and precious promises in all these songs, how we can move out of places like that that are terrible for us and that steal your glory to a place of faith that's good for us <laughs> and that exalts and magnifies your glory. And I pray that you would do this in our lives. It'd be something we'd hold on to and apply should we find ourselves in this situation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 through 8, David expresses his emotions. We've got his emotions here. Before he does that, in the first two verses, he talks about his faith. I suppose that's an emotion as well. In verses 1 and 2, before we look at all the emotions of fear that he's going to list out in verses 3 to 8, in verses 1 and 2 of this song, um, David tells us who he is expressing these emotions to. And it's not unimportant. It's something that we shouldn't gloss over. Who's David talking to here? Talking to God. This is a prayer. And so as is typical in all of these moving from fear to, to faith psalms, David almost always turns to his almighty and powerful sovereign protector and provider for help. And he does it as a first response. We see this at the beginning of the psalm. It's not a last resort. I think so many times you and I, we might go to prayer, but it's usually after we've tried to fix things ourselves or respond in some way. David always, first response, not a last resort. And while the pain and fear from being betrayed and, and shaken in his faith is there, verses 1 and 2 and him praying, it actually shows us he still has faith, doesn't it? still has faith. It's important that we recognize this in David's life as well as our own because one of the things that Satan likes to do, should we find ourselves in a similar situation as David's describing here, a place where he's in fear, a place where some circumstance is causing him pain and hurt, uh, one of the things that Satan likes to do is he likes to hit us when we're down. And so uh, when difficult circumstances come into our lives, Satan will often tempt us to view ourselves as faithless. Now, it might not be a strong faith here, but he's praying to God. So he's got some faith, might tempt us to view ourselves as failing God, as failures in our walk with God, or even abandoned by God. You know, and I praise God for the promise of how God relates to us in Jesus. This is because of the gospel uh, we read in Isaiah 42, 3, one of my favorite verses that describes how Jesus views you, even in times like this, when you don't feel like you have a whole lot of faith. You know what he says there? God says this about Jesus in Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed he will not break, 
Do you ever feel like a bruised reed sometimes? Like a cattail that got snapped, and like, I don't know if it's going back up. I don't know if there's going to be life or vitality there again. The verse goes on to say, a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. When you blow out a candle and there's that one little ember there, and that's about it. He won't snuff it out. That's not the way Jesus works. In fact, when you have that little ember, when all you got is this prayer that you're expressing to God how you feel, and you're going to be real with God just like David is here, he wants to use that little faith that you got left. He wants to use it to fan fan it into flames, into a faith that's good for you and glorifying to him. It's such an encouraging promise because sometimes it does. It feels like we're hit on every side and we wonder because of the pain we're experiencing if we fail God or if he's failed us. So in verses 1 and 2, David's showing some form of faith by taking his anxieties, his difficult circumstances, his emotions, and praying to the Lord about them. At the end of verse 2, uh, the King James reads, I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Uh, it might be better translated, I am restless. That's what it says in the Hebrew and some modern translations. Do you understand that? Have you ever been in a place like David is here where you're enduring some difficult circumstance and you feel a sort of restlessness? That's what David's feeling right now. Uh, like he should be doing something. Like... Uh, what can you do? Or what, what should have you said when you had this little argument or confrontation or when you were hurt? Or what will you say? You ever get in the shower and relive that argument? What you would have said or should have said or might say next time? You know, there's restlessness. This, this is just the beginning of David's expression of his fears, but we find him being very honest with God in prayer here, and that's exactly what our first response should be too. Now in verses 3 through 8, he does start describing in more detail his fears. Verse 3, David feels oppressed and hated. It might be more than a feels because he might feel this way because that is actually his reality. He's currently oppressed and hated. He says in verse 3, because of the voice of my enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me. They're saying I'm guilty of sin, and in wrath they hate me. Because of the voice of the enemy. So here's our first indication in this song as to what is the cause of David's painful emotions that he's going to list out in the upcoming verses. Here they are, verse 4. My heart is sore pained within me. It literally means in the Hebrew, there's a deep, deep down grief arriving, like all my internal organs are writhing, a broken heart, um, a, a fear, a terror. He says in verse 4, terrors of death. I'm afraid for my life are falling upon me. And we're going to see why in a little bit. Fearfulness and trembling, like he's shaking, are come upon me. And horror hath overwhelmed me, he says in verse 5. So let's get to the historical context. He didn't give us a nice, like we know for sure, type of thing up there in the superscript. But based on what he's going to reveal in this psalm and the betrayal, uh, is probably uh, from 2 Samuel where... David's son, Absalom, led a coup attempt on his government. Tried to kick his father out. Did a lot of other bad things. Tried to kill his father. They were pursuing him. David had to flee the city with a small group of loyal followers. And, um, but it's happened before in David's life, too. Had he ever been betrayed earlier? Yeah, by Doeg. We looked at a psalm that was about that. Um, had he ever been in Fear for his life before, even before he was king, right? Saul was pursuing him, 
trying to kill him. There was Philistines that wanted him dead as well. Uh, and it's at this point, verses 4 and 5, that we, we start to see a messianic uh, about Jesus' prophetic implication here. I always tell you to look for Jesus in the Psalms, look for Jesus everywhere in God's Word because he's there. But look at verses 4 and 5 and think, did, did Jesus ever experience these same emotions? Yeah. Where was that? Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? I mean, he was trembling. <laughs> Fear had gripped him to the point where his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. And so David's normal human reaction is described in verses 6 through 8. He says, oh, I had wings like a dove, for they would, and I would fly away, and I'd be at rest. I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. See, I'd hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Very normal reaction when you've been betrayed. You just want to bug out, get away, or really any other painful circumstance that might be in your life. A fight or flight response. And when you know fighting is probably not going to go too well, sometimes we go to a flight response. Have you ever felt this way? Just want to go off somewhere? I have. That's why I walk in the woods a lot and pray. <laughs> Just want to get out. Uh, we even see this in the animal kingdom. When they're wounded or hurt, they'll often go find a place away from others where they get hide and have time to heal without further aggravation or any additional threat. If, like most commentators, believe that the historical context for this psalm, what David's talking about here, is Absalom's revolt, well, that happened, that happened later in David's life. And it would be a very natural thing for David to revert back to what had worked for him in the past. Did he ever do this before? Bug out to the wilderness? Hide in caves? You know, yeah, he did. When he experienced betrayal, when he experienced the threat of death, this was something he did before. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. We might think, mm, be tough, stand and fight. But here's the thing. If, if we remain where we are <laughs> in these conditions, if we stay focused on fear and threats, what's causing these emotions of fear and deep grief, it, it can actually keep us from moving to facts and then ultimately moving to faith. So sometimes flight and getting alone with God can allow us to reorient to truth and then move on to trust. We'll find out that's what eventually happens here in this psalm. Now, in verses 9 to 15, David moves from expressing his emotions to God to talking about his enemies. He's telling God his enemies, and first of all, their practices, their actions in verses 9 through 11. He begins in verse 9 uh, with an imprecatory prayer. Kind of the tone of the prayer changes and actually, this section, 9 to 15, it begins and ends with an imprecatory prayer. I don't know if you remember, we've only really had one psalm that was heavily what we would call an imprecatory psalm. Do you remember what imprecatory means? It's when David, inspired by God, is calling down judgment on, on his enemies. Sometimes these psalms can make us uncomfortable, um, the wording, but we have to realize they're inspired by God. Whenever we see this in the Psalms, it's very important to remember that the reason is never vengeance on David's part. You can see that. Uh, he doesn't pray these kind of things to make his life easier. He prays them so that God would be exalted. Imprecatory prayers, not as much about David's good as they are about God's glory not being impugned. So there in verse 9 when he says destroy, in the Hebrew, it's literally confused. And David is praying that God would intervene, much like he did at the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament in Genesis, uh, by disrupting their evil plans and delivering David from them uh, by causing confusion for David's enemies. So again, we're seeing that the cause of 
uh, the betrayal and treachery that David is experiencing, it's a spoken one. It's slander, it's sinful speech. In the case of Absalom's coup attempt, that's how it started. Absalom would wait outside the city gate. People would come into the city and say, hey, I got a matter and needs to go before the king. And um, I want him to hear my case. And, and Absalom would say, yeah, I wish he could take it. He's really busy right now. He, he doesn't have time for any of you little people. If I, now, if I were the king, <laughs> if I were the king, I'd, I'd take care of you. Did this over and over to the point where all of Israel's heart were turned against David. Absalom had done a sinful slander. Uh, The speech was the start of all this. And it continued as well, but as is usual, um, it doesn't stop where it starts, does it? Sinful words often lead to sinful actions, and they did here. That's what David describes if we look at verse 9. It says, "For I've seen violence and strife in the city. He's talking about Jerusalem, his capital city, where he's in charge. I've seen violence and strife in this city. In fact, day and night, they they go about it up on the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it, right in the middle of it. Wickedness is in the midst of it. Deceit and guile, it it doesn't depart from the streets. It's there all the time. Sounds like the world we live in sometimes, doesn't it? Right now, where there's really an unrestrained evil and it's on public display. Things that used to be thought of as, "Eh, you need to hide that skeletons in the closet. No, we we don't just tolerate it, we accept it. And if you don't, you're intolerant and you're bigoted and closed-minded. Mischief and sorrow on its walls and in the midst of the city. You know, if the historical context is that Absalom's uh, revolt, one of the things that one of Absalom's counselors, who used to be David's counselor, a man by the name of Ahithophel, is actually David's father-in-law. It's Bathsheba's dad. Trusted counselor to David. his cabinet member. And Ahithophel defected, followed Absalom in the coup attempt. In 2 Samuel 16, 21 to 22, Ahithophel counsels Absalom in order to get back at his dad. He tells him to go commit public fornication with some of David's concubines out in the open. And so the verses we just read, verses 9 to 11, might be in regard to that. All these practices of David's enemies, from from slanderous speech where it started all the way to sexual immorality, all of it added pain and fear uh, to David, who's running for his life, literally. So as David is expressing his emotions to God here and expressing why he feels the way he does, do you see why he's inspired by God to pray this imprecatory prayer in verse 9? Verse 12, um, we see the second thing about his enemies all right, it wasn't, he doesn't just focus on their practices, but this is the part that really wounded David. This is the part that really made a betrayal in verses 12 to 15. It's their proximity. The, the betrayal David experienced, it didn't come from a known enemy. David says here, it was not an enemy that reproached me, verse 12, or I could have borne it. I mean, I would expect that from my enemy. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. If it was, then I would have hid myself from him. I would have had normal human defenses, self-protection, but that wasn't the case. First of all, it came from his own son. Try to put yourself into David's shoes. There might be some here and watching who don't have to because you had a close family member betray you in a similar way. First of all, it was his son. It's a son he had just shown a lot of grace and mercy to, trying to restore and reconcile a relationship that his son had destroyed. And secondly, it came from Ahithophel, David's father-in-law. 
who, who was a trusted counselor and advisor, he had defected to Absalom. And then verse 14, to make matters worse, like, okay, it's bad enough that it's family, but there was a vertical connection between David and these people. At least David thought there was. And verse 14 says, we took, we took sweet counsel together. We walked onto the house of God together. David's saying, I mean, we, we worshiped together. It's literally how all this started. Once Absalom had turned the people's hearts away, he said to David, hey, I need to go sacrifice to God in another city. Can I, you let me go? They said, yeah, do it. You're, my son's worshiping God, praise the Lord. And he went there to plan this coup attempt. You feel the knife that got stuck in David's heart here. There's vertical link. I mean, family is not supposed to do you like this. Church family, Christians, are not supposed to do you this way. And so maybe you can relate. That's one of the beautiful things about the Psalms. That's why so many of us love this book. Because as painful as it is, a lot of times they're the same experiences that we have as well. Family and Christians aren't supposed to do you this way, but, but sometimes they do. And you're not alone. David experienced it. Sometimes they do. And, and when they do, they teach us how God wants us to respond, how we're supposed to react. We're going to find that out in verses 16 to 23, but first verse 15 says, Let death seize upon them. Let them go down quick into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. The second imprecatory prayer that kind of closes this section. David prays that God would act in justice, defeating them thoroughly. It had to be a tough prayer. I, don't, I got an idea that David knew what he was asking. God answered this prayer. They hit the pill, died. Absalom died. All those guilty, unremorseful, unrepentant people with the wicked practices described in verses 9 through 11, they were destroyed. So, now we move on to the high point, verses 16 to 23, David's exchange, a high point in this trajectory of moving from fear to faith. In verse 16, I want to read it because, man, this is, it turns. The tone of the psalm turns here. As for me, <laughs> but as for me, I want to call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Man, I just love the contrast when there's phrases like that in Scripture. Whether it's here, David does this often in the psalms, turns the tone, but as for me, I'm going to call upon the Lord. Paul does it to Timothy when he charges him. He's like, you know what? It's a, the world's going to get worse and worse. The church is going to get worse and worse. But as for you, Timothy, that's not what you're going to do. I love this contrast here. We've got the testimony in these instances of somebody who's in very painful circumstances. They're surrounded by fear, but they make a choice. They make a choice to focus on the facts, to move to faith. David says, he sings, <laughs> this is a song. As for me, I'm going to call upon God. He will save me. He's going to come through on what he had promised. Verse 17, he says, evening, morning, and noon. Definitely Jewish, that's when their day starts, is that evening. We would say morning, noon, and night. Evening, morning, and at noon. I'm going to pray and I'm going to cry. He's saying 24-7. I'm going to pray, I'm going to cry aloud, and God shall hear my voice. He's going to hear me, he's going to help me. Started out this psalm with, God, please, I, I, do you hear me? Can you hear me, God? Verse 1, 2. He says, now he's, God will hear me. God will hear me. Verse 18, when we leave fear, when we focus on the facts, look, look how faith is fueled. He says here in verse 18, he hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. He hath? He hath? Not yet. 
Why does he say he hath? Because faith sees a promised act of God as as good as done. That's what faith does. Faith looks back at all the times when God has come through like he said he would, over and over again. And then faith looks forward to the reality that that's the same unchanging God. He's going to keep on doing what he said he's going to do. And David calls us to have that same kind of faith, a faith that has the confidence of a, of a past tense verb. That's it's as good as done. David chooses to make an exchange here based on God's grace. He accesses it by faith. David exchanges problems. He's got a lot of them. <laughs> he exchanges them for peace. That's what he says. He's delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. He exchanges fear for faith. Now, one little side note before we leave verse 18. Look at that last phrase. For there were many with me. Not as many as that were against him. There were many with me. It's interesting that he notes that. Because what we have seen the pain and fear that somebody close to you can cause in this psalm. It can almost destroy you. We've seen, seen that. But do you also see the courage and the confidence that you and I can embolden in somebody else when they're down? When they're in need, that, that we can be used of God to walk with them in their time of pain and, and lift them up to a place of faith, lift them up to a place where they're praising God in really difficult circumstances. In verse 19, he says, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old. Selah. I'm going to pause there because he changes from here on out. He's not talking about God anymore after that Selah. He begins going back and talking about his enemies. But let's focus on who he's talking about here at first. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old. So the restlessness that he was experiencing in this very new, unknown, frightening, painful circumstance, it's now, it's now replaced with a focus by David on his God who is present, who hears his cries, who responds to his needs, and who is he that abideth of old. What do you mean by that? The one who's still on the throne, always has been, hasn't vacated, hasn't abdicated, regardless of what our circumstances might be indicating or communicating. David's reminded God's still on the throne. He's he that abideth of old, of old. Verses 20 to 21, David returns to that description of his enemies, actually begins there in verse 19, because they have no changes, therefore they don't fear God, my enemies. Verse 20, he's put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. I didn't do anything to deserve this. In fact, I gave him grace, and I got this in return. He's broken his covenant. I mean, we we had a relationship here. Verse 20, he's put forth, uh, verse 21, the words of his mouth were, they were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Why is he coming back here? I think there's still a little bit of a struggle, and there is when we're trying to move from fear to faith. Our mind might go back. David's going to move it right on back. But also I think that um, David's warning us, God's having David warn us, that things may not always seem to be, may not always be as they seem to be. Right? We might encounter somebody who's got really smooth words, <laughs> really soft words, and then they do this for us, and we can just get shook. And that's a reminder that it's not wrong to rely on people. Verse 18 at the end of it told us that. But ultimately, what should we rely on? God and his word. 
He won't, he won't ever fail you. People, even the greatest people, they're probably going to fail you at some point. God? No. God never will. So who are you going to focus on? Who, who's going to move you? And that's what David talks about here in the command for faith. So in verse 22, after testifying about what David did in his own experience with the pain and fear of betrayal by those closest to him, after proclaiming how God brought him through, how, how he ascended from fear to faith, he's given us a, a, a paradigm, a model that you and I can follow as well. David commands us there to do the same. He says, cast your burden on the Lord. He's talking to you and I. He's talking to whoever's singing this song way back then in the, in the tabernacle. But he's talking to you and I here tonight. Cast your burden on the Lord. You know what that means? We've seen it in Psalm 37. It said the same thing. It means to roll. To roll. To roll over. To roll it off. When I was in the army, it was old enough where we had these really old things called Alice Packs. Heavy, like exterior frame backpacks. Got you're old enough, you had it too. Um, but when you march four, eight, ten, twenty miles, you have to have that thing. And in training, most of the time in training, we'd have to have them weighted 100 pounds, 120 pounds. There's nothing like when they said they were taking a break, and you go over there and you pop. You remember those two things you pop, Scott? You pop them, and it just falls off. <laughs> you're like, oh. this is what God's telling us to do there. To roll off. It would just literally fall off you and roll on the ground. Made a good backrest for a little bit. To roll it off. I mean, when we relate to God this way, through faith and his grace, when we will obey what he's saying here, that his almighty and powerful providential hand, it will sustain us. When you cast your burden on the Lord, he will sustain you. He will never, he will never suffer. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. When we're moved is when we don't cast a burden on the Lord. When we don't focus on God, when we focus on fear, our emotions, the circumstances causing them. And then look at verse 23. It says, but thou, so here's another contrast. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. So that's a contrast with verse 22. I'm going to cast my burden on the Lord. He's going to sustain me. I won't be moved. But then they didn't. And they just continued in their wickedness. You're going to bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men. They won't live out half their days. And that's not universally true. We probably know some people who lived out more than half of their days who would fit in this category. But in general, when you live a life of sin, days are going to be shortened. It's just how it works. I don't want to focus on that as much as I want to focus on the end of that there. Because it's a contrast. Through faith, David obeyed God. And he's calling you and I to as well. What do we get? We're saved and we're sustained. What about David's enemies? Well, their plans collapsed. Their lives were cut short. And God has David leave us here with just six words, and that's what I'll leave you with tonight. But I will trust in thee. But I will trust in thee. Will you? Will you trust in him? Have you experienced, or maybe you're currently going through being wounded by the pain and fear of betrayal, somebody close to you, somebody who wasn't supposed to treat you that way? Well, if that's the case, begin moving from fear to faith just like David began. Verses 1 and 2. Take it to him in prayer. It might be something else, just as painful, causing just as much fear. Do the same thing. 
David's first response. Take it to the one who will deliver your soul in peace from the battle. Change your focus from whatever is causing your fear to the one that, as verse 19 reminded us, is he that abideth of old. We're going to sing a song in a minute. The ancient of days. That's who we're talking about here. And then pause, just like it said. Selah. Pause and stay there, focused on the sovereign who is still on the throne. Your Savior and Deliverer, who is still on the throne, he's going to be. You know what? Maybe, maybe everything's going good for you. I hope so. I can tell by some of your faces that's not the case. But maybe everything's going great. But it's not for everybody in here. It's not. It's not for a lot of people who are watching right now. So, hearkening back to verse 18 at the end, if you are being blessed right now and everything is going great, there might be some in your family or in your spiritual family that that's not their experience right now. Will you commit to pray for them? Will you commit to even do a little bit more? I'm going to ask you to think about someone you might know who's experiencing, some of what David's experiencing. Call them, text them, email them tonight, tomorrow morning. Let them know that there's many with you. That was a big help to David in this time of despair. There's many with you. Lifted him to faith and praise. So I'm going to ask Tommy and the praise team to come up tonight.